I want to share with you a story that I heard on the radio today. So the story is actually a pretty famous story. Um, it's, it's a Christmas story in the English churches. And so they're kind of more familiar with it. They're like, oh, yeah, this is such an old school, kind of very heartwarming, clear to understand parable-like story. I never heard it in my life. So I want to share it with you. It's called The Man and the Birds. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff, which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but... I'm not going to go with you to, the, to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them, and so he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier, and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another, then another. Sort of a thump or a, or a thud. At first he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against his living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter, have tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze to death, so he remembered the barn where, where his children stabled their pony. That would pro provide a, a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on a coat, uh, some shoes, tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light, but the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them in. So he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making the trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them and waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction except into the warm lighted barn and then he realized that they were afraid of him to them he reasoned I am a strange and terrifying creature if only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them but how because any move he made tended to frighten them, to confuse them. They just wouldn't not follow him. They would not be led or shoot away because they feared him. If only I could become a bird, he thought to himself. And there's more to that story. I'm not going to read the rest of it. But at the end of the story, basically at the moment the church bells began to ring, the sound reached his ears above the sound of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas, and he sank to his knees in the snow. If any of you understood what that story was, that was a parable of what Christ did when he came down from heaven and became a human being so that you and I could have life 
and have that warm, lighted life here on earth and in heaven with him. Let's stand, keeping that in mind. Let's thank God, ask him for sanctification. Amen. Praise God, brothers and sisters. I want to touch on the topic of uh, partaking in sin or uh, being part of other people's sin. And most of the time, we don't even realize it, how we can encourage other people to do sin. <clears throat> or we know about their, them doing something wrong, and we don't say anything to them. And that could, both of those are being part of uh, someone else's sin. And it, at the same time, we're sinning because we're not stopping it. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but growing up, um, being a part of a big family, we got in trouble a lot. And uh, so when our parents would leave somewhere and would get in trouble, they'd come back. And uh, we would all have to get in trouble. And a lot of the times, you know, you'd be like, why am I getting in trouble? You know, so you're like, Dad, what, what did I do? And he's like, that's the problem. It's what you didn't do. And he's, or you're like, I didn't do anything. And he's like, that's the problem. You could have done something and you could have stopped it. So uh, that's just a little uh, example of maybe how we can get punished for or us being part of other people's sin just because we know about it. We can do something about it and we don't. And uh, for like the topic of my sermon, uh, I want to focus on the verse uh, James 4.17. And uh, it is written, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And that just like wraps up my whole sermon into one verse. And uh, we can read it again. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And uh, I was, the reason I picked this was uh, this last week I was in Florida and uh we were actually part of a road rage driving kind of, and uh, I was actually the passenger, and uh, I was in the back, and I was like encouraging, you know, like from the back, I was like, like, don't let him do that to you, you know, and then later on, my my spirit convicted me, and I was like, that was the wrong thing to do, because later, my dad was like, what are you guys doing in the back, you know, like, why didn't you guys, you guys are the older brothers, you guys should have done something to stop him, or instead of actually promoting him, provoking him to uh, keep going. And uh, um, in the end, uh, we did get into a little accident and whatnot. But praise God, everything was good. Everything is all settled now. And so uh, at, uh, I have this testimony. And then uh, another one, I have a few relatives that also got into some uh, trouble. And now there's like between two of my aunts, there's some... Uh, guess you could say beef. I don't know how to put it, but um, one of the sons let one of the friends use his car, and so they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing, and uh, my other cousin was sitting in the back seat, and after everything was, after they ran from the cops and everything, after they, uh, their car got wrecked and whatnot, the guy who's wasn't the driver but he was the owner of the car he got he got arrested and so the his mom was really mad at my other cousin who was in the back seat and she's like okay he wasn't the driver it's not his car you know this and that and uh 
the guy who's owner of the car, he shouldn't have let him drive the car and the, the other guy drive in the first place, you know, so it's his fault. But, like, uh, looking at this verse over here, those who know to do good or where we can stop something from happening, we can be the bigger, bigger people, the bigger Christians. And especially if we're uh, uh, the bigger Christians, you can, you can see when something is going the wrong way or when someone is doing the, something they shouldn't do. And uh, this happens a lot within our friend groups. You can uh, get caught up in the middle of stuff. And if we don't say anything about our friends, uh, you know, tripping uh, spiritually or doing something wrong, that's us being part of their sin. That's us showing to everybody that, like, it doesn't bother us or, like, we're okay with that. And if we're okay with that, that means we're part of that instead of doing what's right. Because uh, this verse, James, uh, James 4.17, in the English Standard uh, Version, or the, one of the other versions, uh, it, was, it read, Therefore to him that knoweth to do right and doesn't do what's right, to him it is sin. So if we know what, like, what we should be doing, uh, what how we should be living uh, spiritually, if we having, uh, being all brothers and sisters in Christ and be, us being one family, if we don't like pick each other up or show us, show our friends, our brothers and sisters where they're doing wrong, in a way we're, we're kind of being part of that sin. And it's rebuking, it's not judging, so uh, showing someone where they're doing wrong, you're not like judging him. Oh, you're gonna go to hell, this and that. You're you're just telling him you're doing wrong. You know, you're. It says this in the Bible. You shouldn't be doing this. So a lot of the times, like we don't do that. We just ignore it. We're like, okay, just like I'll just hang around out with these people and this and that. But I want to encourage us all to be like one big family and just help show the right way and. Uh, show to do good before the bad happens. And that way, God will be satisfied with us and then, uh, nobody will be getting punished and it'll be just better for everybody. So I want to encourage us all to do that. And uh, instead of partaking in their sin, step before it and stop it before it happens. So let's get up and pray. Praise God, brothers and sisters. My name is Jacob Ashenko. I've been coming here for quite some time now. And... Today, my topic is going to be about the mentality of a victorious Christian. Oftentimes, we, especially at this time of the year, where we set these resolutions for ourselves. Me, personally, I, I look at what I can do, what I can improve on, and not only what I can improve on, but I look back and reflect on the past and try to figure out how I can, you know, improve that this year, but the upcoming year. So, resolutions are kind of a funny thing because we usually have this common pattern everyone knows about it when we set a resolution you know whether it be to lose weight get fit lean and then like 30 days for me maybe 15 days we just kind of mess up <laughs> and we fail at staying to our resolutions now I personally experienced that a similar concept in Christianity when 
when I'm striving for God, for Christ, I go to a church and I get filled up with this energy, this motivation to change who I am and for the better. But somehow I lose sight of the things that are important and, and that results into the failure that is our lack of dedication to our resolutions. And this process occurs in almost every Christian, I find, that oftentimes we're like a broken record, just stuck and kind of replaying in the same patterns. We go to church, we get filled up, we go home, we get a little empty, and then that emptiness drives us into the same sins and the same failures that lead us into depression and anxiety, that all the stuff that kind of we're hoping to avoid, especially in this joyous time of the year. Now, our hearts are changed in Christ, but sometimes our mentality is stuck in that same kind of fleshly, worldly ways. And so though we're striving for the right things, just like in our resolutions, we sometimes fail because we're staying in the same habits of last year. We stay in the same habits of our flesh. This kind of makes me wonder, like, like, like brings me two questions that I, that I ask myself. Firstly, how do we remain victorious in Christ? Not only our resolutions, but in Christ. Moreover, what is the mentality of a victorious Christian? Now, I'd like to open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh... No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter here is describing the mentality of Christ. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, the same mind of Christ. Not only the new creature that is in our hearts, but also in the mentality that we approach every day in our life. Now, oftentimes I find that, that as Christians, we, you know, we have that new creation, that new creature living inside us. And that's why it gets recharged every time we're at church. We get revivified, and then we go home, and we lose sight of, of what really matters. And that's our behavior in Christ, the, the person that we choose to be in Christ, who we identify in. And so then when we get home, that emptiness takes over because of our actions, and it results to sin. We can't fully control our nature, but we can control the behavior towards the battle that is inside of us, that is the spirit versus the flesh. Now, though we sin, the victory always belongs to the Lord because he judges the heart. The approach of a Christian must improve to remain victorious even though they fail because we're human. We will fail. We will make mistakes just like in most of my resolutions. But anyways, that's a different topic for a different day. But this leads me to the three things that I wanted to talk about that we can apply into this new year to combat sin, to kind of be victorious Christians even when we fail, even though we may not succeed in our behaviors. Number one, first things first, we have to accept that failing is a part of the process. Making mistakes is key to grow. We can't grow if we can't make mistakes. We have to learn from something. And uh, for myself, oftentimes people, they, like, they, they kind of beat themselves up about failing when it's a natural occurrence. It's the process of life. Number one was failing is a part of the process. Number two, though we fail or fall, 
it's important that we fall onto the Word of God. Because this strategy right here, this step number two, though we fall, we fall on the Word of God, gives the enemy a funny paradox. Because when, we, when, when he is motivated to cause unbelief in our lives, when he's motivated to diminish all faith in, what, in the things that we hoped for, and every time he causes us to make, our, make the mistakes that we make, that if every time that happens, we focus on the Word and fall onto the, the Bible, and not only the Word of God and the Bible, but the Word that the Holy Spirit convicts us with, that makes all of his pursuits vain. Because the more he attacks, the more you fall onto the Word, and the more and the closer and closer you get to God. Step number three. Passage prepared. I have a go-to book that I, that I enjoy reading all the time, and that's in James. This book encourages me, and not only encourages, but inspires me to read even more. And it talks just about this, only it mentions temptations. It talks about how, though we are tempted, there still, there still remains steadfast love if we succeed in our trials. If we can open our Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And let's skip down to verse 12 as well. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I always fall onto this passage right here, not only because it motivates me, but because it talks about the very concept of, of succeeding through trials, getting through those moments that are, that are most difficult. The revelation that I got, especially from reading these passages, was that our joy is that through Christ we are invincible. Whether we make mistakes or not, as long as we direct our failures to God, they will be made victorious through Christ because the victory was never ours to begin with. It was God's. And that revelation is made completely known in Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I won't forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That joy that we get, it's both in our victories and in our failures. That's kind of my point. When we fail, it's supposed to be given to Christ so that he is the one to be glorified always. And so I encourage us this new year, this upcoming year, to not only with our resolutions to, 
to be successful and focus on the kind of persistence in that but, and not be discouraged, but to, but to focus also in our spiritual lives when we do and will mess up because we're human, to focus on God. Amen. One, two. Slava Bohem. I agree with our pastor, our senior pastor, Peter Moisej, when he said on Thursday that we're coming to the days when even the nativity scene and uh, decorations on the houses and things like that, uh, they can be a, a sermon for itself, on itself. Uh, of course, I, I personally don't think that if you put, you know, everything Santa Claus all over, you'll preach the gospel. But I believe that you can use this um, opportunity in this country, all this decor, all the decorations, uh, used for the promotion of gospel. And um, it depends on what's on, on your heart. If you're focusing on the gifts, if you're focused on a good time, you won't be able to notice those little moments when you need to preach the gospel. But if you're focusing on God's love, focusing on His gift, I'm pretty sure that you will have plenty of opportunities. When somebody asks you things like, so what are you going to do at this Xmas day? Or You will find a way to say something that will stick in their minds. I'm going to preach about the heart. I'm going to preach the condition of our hearts. And um, I'll be honest with you, when I was preparing, I kept in mind a few really important and uh, I would say pretty solid questions about our beliefs in salvation, in the security of our salvation, also what we believe about God's grace, what we believe about His election, what we believe about His atonement or His blood that was shed for us. To put it in a different uh, verbiage, in different phases, if you've heard words like Calvinism or Arminianism, I will touch on these subjects. I'll be pretty intentional. I know that we as a Pentecostal denomination and not just the Slavic denomination, the Assemblies of God and a lot of different uh, Pentecostal denominations, we're firmly standing on the beliefs that can be collectively called Armenianism. We're not leaning towards Calvinism. And if you don't know these words, that's fine. We will let the Bible speak for itself. But the position of this church, and I'm representing this church as one of the pastors, is on the Armenianism side. Why it's important, why it's important for discussion, because questions like can we lose salvation or not, those may be really controversial, but the implications, why people ask them, they're pretty deep and sensitive. When people uh, ask questions like can, you lose, can I lose salvation, or let me prove that uh, you cannot lose your salvation, or I know that I won't lose salvation, if it's just for the sake of arguing, I mean, it's not even worth of our time. But if people are asking because they are going through hard times and God is not speaking to them directly, they, they are in a, in a depression, they are in a situation where they are like asking questions, why? Why God? Why did my mom just die? Uh, or why am I praying for my dad who is drinking and he is not coming to you? Maybe he was elected for 
you know, hell and not for salvation. Maybe God predisposed him for, to perish and to die. Or when I get to the point where I cannot overcome my addiction or sin and I wonder if I'm the chosen one, you know, things like that, then it becomes a question of in the matter of life and death. And it's worth of our time and search and this sermon. So in the next 25 or so minutes, I'll try to put some foundations on this topic and may God help us. Let's open uh, to the first passage. I'll be reading from four passages and the first one is in Hebrews chapter 2. The topic of my sermon is heart that does not fall away. Heart or a heart that does not fall away. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. For this reason, because Jesus revealed himself in chapter 1, in chapter 2, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Uh, try to keep in mind, you know, what's the main key word here. It talks about salvation, what we have heard that's salvation. So let's pay attention, the Bible says, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it, the salvation or the word of salvation was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. So first, the Bible clearly says that it's possible for a person, after receiving God's grace and being saved, to drift away. Uh, if you have good imagination, you probably understand that drifting away does not happen in a second or a minute. It's a matter of certain time period, and the uh, Bible clearly says that it's possible. Uh, in fact, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, uh, the, the author goes on and says, Take care, brethren, 3.12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving what? If it's on the screen, yes, it's on. So let's say what? Everybody what? Thank you. We're talking about the heart that can fall away. God, keep us safe. That falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, from these passages, we clearly see that salvation is not just a concept, something abstract like, oh, am I saved or not? It's God himself. And in this passage, verse 12, it clearly says that a person who has certain condition in his heart can fall away. And not just from some religious beliefs, but from the living God. So when we ask questions like, can we lose salvation? You know, that's the wrong question. Because salvation is in, is in God, so we cannot lose God. But we can drift away from Him. And that's why we heard these sermons before I preached, brothers preached on how to stay close to God, on how to overcome temptation, or how to get up when you fall. Why do we encourage each other, after all, if it's so secure and you can never uh, you know, drift away from the Lord. The Bible is clear that there's a danger, and this is written to the believers. 
this epistle, the, the whole New Testament, is for the major part written as a reminder of the gospel and written as an instruction for the believers. And so the Bible is clear that we have to watch our hearts. And let's take another, another passage. This is already a story from real life. It's Acts chapter 8, something that maybe some of us we can, uh, you know, associate with or kind of apply in our lives. Uh, chapter 8, it talks about Philip and um, a man by name Simon, the magician. I'll read this story. I'll be quick. Let's read it. Uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. It's God's grace, God's power. Verse 8, so there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Now notice these two words, believing and baptized. And then verse 13, same thing with the Simon. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. And then the second part of the story. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the water baptism. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May you, your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So looking at this uh, <clears throat> example from real life, from real man's life, Christian's life, first we, we need to know that Simon used to be a magician. He used to be a practicing, um, you know, witch or uh, sorcerer or um, magician. And uh, when the gospel of God touched that city, he sincerely turned to God. We don't see that he was doing anything um, that was not right before the Lord before he saw 
the, the Holy Spirit being, you know, come falling down on the people. Before that, he was exactly as the rest of the Christians. And we see that they believed and he believed. And I looked in the original, just double-checking. The word believe means the saving faith. So he had that saving faith. He sincerely accepted Christ as his Savior. And he was rejoicing, and he was amazed by the miracles. And then when the temptation came, that's also important to understand, when he saw something happening, the temptation came to him. We just read, you know, the brother read from James that everybody gets enticed, или как бы обольщается своим. У него это было власть и чудеса. So he had that desire. And this thought similar to an Ananias and Sapphire comes to his mind and he's like, oh, I have some money. I can, I can benefit from it. I can get it. I know what works in this life. And so he brings this money and then we have this interesting dialogue because Peter didn't say, oh, I knew you're the son of perdition. You're going to die and you were not elected or chosen by God. He says, no, you still have a chance. You got to pray. You got to pray. You know what happens often when people say, um, I, I can't, I can't stop sinning, I can't stop doing this, it just happens. What they really mean is similar to what Simon said, well, you pray for me, I, I'm not ready. I think you're right, but I just don't feel like I, I'm ready to serve the Lord, you know, the way you serve. But, but Peter is pretty, pretty clear about, uh, you know, what Simon has to do. He says, your heart is not right before God. Uh, again, I was checking all the, the original, and, and uh, uh, this word is not right, is not sincere. So he used to be sincere with the Lord. He used to love him from the bottom of his heart. And Peter says, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, he looks at him and says, I see your heart. You're not sincere. Maybe you want to follow the Lord, but you have to get it all straight. And your thoughts, because heart is nothing else. It's not like something, you know, inside of us. It's our, the way uh, we think. Your thinking is wrong. Similarly to how um, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, hey, devil, depart from me, you know, get away from me. He says, you're thinking how people or how devil thinks. So in this case, Peter says, you are not thinking the right way. You, your heart is wrong. But if you repent, he says to him, therefore repent. And by the way, God does not ask people something that they are not capable of doing. God is not just walking around like, yes, everyone repents. But well, actually, I mean just a chosen one repent. Everyone else doesn't have a chance. No, he, he, says, he says, I extend my grace, and, and you have a chance. And, and God's grace, by the way, it's not just leading to salvation. We'll talk about this, the second part. But it also bringing back those who fa have fallen away. So it's working to save us. It's working to bring us back to Christ. And Simon, unfortunately, we don't know if Simon actually repented the history um, says that, you know, he did not. And in fact, there was a sect uh, that, that started there. 
and uh, people in Revelations, if you read chapter 2, I believe, or 3, people, uh, some churches were rebuked for using money for their gain, for, the, the, you know, for something that they were not supposed to be doing. And so, if we look at this story, number one, again, just as a review, Simon, he comes to Christ, he comes to a realization that what he was doing was wrong, and he believes and he gets baptized as a testimony to everyone that he's serious. And then when temptation comes, God still gives him a chance. Through Peter, he says, you repent and it will be forgiven for you. The intention of your heart, again, your thoughts may be forgiven you. And um, <coughs> people's side, um, you know, when we look at the responsibility of, of each person, is to come and repent. And, and there may be a question, so does that mean that a person can somehow, you know, help God to save himself or herself? No, not at all. We're not talking about doing something good to be saved. We're talking about what Jesus said to the crowds. And he said, here's what you have to do. They asked him, they they ask him sincerely, what do we have to do to be saved? And Jesus said, you have to do the following. Here's the deeds that you have to do. You have to believe. So we are saved by faith only. But our responsibility is to answer to God's call. So let's take a look at God's side and what he uh, suggests for all of us. Acts chapter 17 it's a very, one of my favorite um, places in the Bible. Acts chapter 17. That's when Apostle Paul is in uh, Areopagus or in Mars Hill in different translations. And he's talking to this, you know, crowd of pagans, non-believers, non-Jews. And he's saying that, God resurrected Jesus, his son, for salvation. And then he says this very important phrase, uh, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should do what? Is it on? Nope, not judge. Everybody has to. Again, we're coming to the, to the question where does God choose only certain people and then he predestines others for death and for hell? And the answer to that is absolutely no. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that some of you are predestined for hell. Some of you don't even have a chance. Everybody has a chance to be saved. Otherwise, what's even the point of preaching the gospel to everywhere? Let's just pray so that God will bring just the chosen ones. Maybe they will be luckily born in Christian family and have more chances and so on and so forth. No, the scripture says through Apostle Paul in different places, but in this one clearly, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Can we say amen? This is very important because this is what motivates uh, me and I hope motivates you to go and preach the gospel. We can reach out to people. 
we we can bring the gospel the good news especially in this season we have to stand on this and preach and and uh, understand that god's grace is leading people to repentance but as billy graham said that the power of the gospel is in the gospel itself that's what the scripture says romans chapter 1 16 it says that uh, that there's a power in the gospel for salvation and so billy graham hopefully you know still a pretty famous person and we we know you know one of the biggest preachers he believed and he stated that when i start preaching the good news people start hearing simple words something that that even child can understand and there's power in that message that can prepare a heart of the person to respond and make the right choice and so the scripture says in Romans chapter 2, this is uh, a third place that I would like to read. Um, in chapter 2, verse 4, that God's grace, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Let's read it. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His, God's kindness, intolerance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance again both in cases where people never heard before about the gospel when they hear god's uh, message of salvation it leads them god's makes everything possible it's not like he working exactly the same way with every single person but he creates certain situations certain circumstances in the life of a person and he leads them to salvation god's grace is not just you know something that is only for a certain category of people it's for everyone it leads to salvation and then next step it saves and the Bible says that it also, God's grace, it also teaches how to live in this sinful world. So God's side, uh, my responsibility is to make the choice. God's side, He provides grace for me. He provides grace to make the right decision. He provides grace for me to be saved and He keeps me in His grace. Hebrews 3, 12, 13 that we started with. Um, again, I, I'll read this as a reminder. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. God warns us that we can receive this grace. And Apostle Paul even asks that question in his letters. He says, did you receive God's grace in vain? Is it all for nothing? Please do not resist His grace. Please do not push it away from you. Accept it. May let it work in your life. Let it change your heart, transform your heart. And um, I hope that, you know, this brings more faith and more hope in your life. Never allow a thought where you may may excuse yourself and say, oh, I'm not just chosen for salvation. I'm not elected. God gives His grace to everyone. 
I mentioned briefly this, but I, I don't want to just talk uh, theology and preach just something that is, you know, general statements. I want to look at different situation. Sometimes um, we ask these questions, these deep questions, when we cannot overcome sin. And uh, if you are in that state, if you are in state where you're like, hey, I already repented. I already got baptized with, uh, you know, water and maybe even the Holy Spirit. And I prayed and I remember how it worked in my life. But I don't feel any, anything right now because I know that I sinned with something. You know, maybe that's your attitude. Maybe unforgiveness. Just recently I went through a short period of time, but I, 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 I felt like I cannot forgive something for, for a person. It was not that big of a deal, but for, for a time I was like, wow, I thought that I can easily forgive, you know, people and, and, and government and whatnot. But turns out that it's hard. And when I'm in that state, when I'm unforgiving, I, I, I ask questions like, where's the Lord? I mean, why it doesn't work? Why this whole thing doesn't work? Why my Christianity doesn't work? So when you're in that situation, it's not like God is unfaithful. It's not like you don't have hope. It's not like He chosen you for something, you know, and, and not for salvation. It's just that you need to keep believing in His Word, that you need to be honest with yourself. Often, we are so, so skillful in making excuses. Like, I could not do this. I had to cheat because I saved someone from failure on the test. I'm just making this up. Nothing don't mean anyone. It's just probably naturally, you know, principles, you know, background. But I mean, honestly, you you're just just being selfish, right? Because you either didn't want to lose friendship or you made some other excuses. It doesn't matter. But well, we're making excuses. Even in theoretical, you know, situations where like, oh, we had to save somebody's life. Well, honestly, you just didn't want to lose a job. You just didn't want to do something, uh, something else. But we, we love ourselves. And so as soon as we understand that repentance is like a sacrifice, we have to die for ourselves. It's not a repentance if we're like, it's so easy. Like, yeah, Lord, forgive me. Oh, I feel better. It's like, but don't touch my hard stuff. Don't touch my, you know, big problem. The real repentance would hurt why people cry. It's not just because they like feel better, but because they understand, wow, I, everything's lost. You know, I, I have to die. I have to, to part with my past life, with, with, with what was in the past. And, and they cry. And that's part of the repentance. Sometimes we ask these uh, tough questions you know, about salvation and about uh, predestination and things like that when we're praying for our relatives for a long time. That's what I'm doing. I'm praying for some of my relatives for their salvation, and I just wonder why God, God still did not answer the prayer. It's not just me praying. It's our family. It's our relatives praying for a person. That person knows God's, uh, you know, gospel. But he's still not saved or there's no fruit that will, you know, prove that he is fully walking in God's salvation. And again, 
who am I to make conclusions? Who am I to decide, you know, that God chosen him or didn't choose? I believe God's word and I trust in God's word that his grace, as long as people live on this earth, as long as you breathe and you walk, always remember God's love is for you. God's forgiveness is for you. Amen? Just take this, just grab it because, guys, you will all go through hard times, different things. For some of you, you are right now in hard circumstances. Believe that God is always faithful, 100. There's not even slightest 0, 0.9 chance of Him failing you. He is 100% faithful. He is true, never lied, and will never say even the, the, the smallest lie. Amen? And so when He says that He loves you, He loves you. When he says that he forgives you, he forgives you. When he says that everyone, everywhere needs to repent, he doesn't mean like, okay, but I know that for some of you it's still no chance. He gives his grace equally to everyone. It's true that some people will reject. A lot of people will reject his grace and his love. But it's still people's choice and people can choose it. Otherwise, God would be unjust. If he doesn't give a true free will for a person to make a decision, why am I be judged? For what? That he had chosen my brother and didn't choose me? That's a lie. That's not true. He, chooses, uh, <coughs> he gives his salvation for all of us. And um, it's a matter of prayer too. I know that when we come to the Lord, deep in my heart, if you ask me, if you ask me honestly, Alex, do you believe that you're saved? I can say 100%. 100%. And I know that those of you who trusted your life to Jesus, you can say the same with me. Amen? I will be, and I know that I will live and die and I will be in heaven. 100%. But that's how the Holy Spirit works individually and personally within our hearts. And he gives that assurance, and he gives that salvation, and he gives that understanding, the conviction that I am saved. That doesn't guarantee for me that if I don't do anything, you know, or if I start sinning, it doesn't guarantee that I will be saved and I will, you know, be in heaven. But I know that I love God. He loves me on a personal level, okay? So there is assurance of salvation that is given personally to each person. Okay, but we cannot say that, okay, right now, you know, we, we need to choose as God chooses who is saved and who is not. And so when I say it's a matter of prayer, I really would like to encourage you to pray, even tonight, even right now we'll be praying, to pray and ask God to work with His Spirit, with His Spirit in your heart and to bring you closer to Him and to show you how He loves you, and how He is faithful to you. Be faithful to Him as well. Let's all stand up. Let's pray. Um, I really believe that the Word says we need to encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. We have how many? One more youth service, right? And then it's going to be Christmas, and then it's going to be New Year's. So by the next week, make this decision to get closer to God. Do not have unbelieving and uh, evil heart. Have faith. Get closer to God. 
as long as it's called today, as long as it's 2018 and it's called today, you have a chance, you have God's promise for salvation. Let's pray.